I think that we are smart enough in this day and age. We have the tools, if we look for them, to be able to work with our co-parents or spouses and separate in an amicable way that leaves the money with us and for our children. on average read 60 books per year. Many attribute their professional success to this persistent quest for new wisdom and innovative excellence. MentorBox makes it easy for you to develop that same high achieving habit of lifelong learning. As a person of action, you know that true ingenuity is the result of deep knowledge. And just by listening to this podcast, you are working towards your goals every single day. If you are ready to wholly embrace this mindset, this 1% better every day, then check in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for new podcasts. And if you want to dive deeper into the teachings of our guests, become a member at MentorBox.com today. There, you'll find courses from experts like today's guest, Laura Wasser. Laura Wasser is a Beverly Hills-based attorney practicing in family law. Read Divorce Lawyer. She has worked with some of the most decorated stars in Hollywood, including Heidi Klum, Ryan Reynolds, and Johnny Depp. However, it's not her high-profile clients that makes her supremely interesting. It's her relentless dedication to making things easier for clients dealing with that difficult moment of marriage disillusion. She wrote, it doesn't have to be that way, a book aimed at helping people go through divorce without destroying their bank accounts or their families. Recently, she developed a platform called It's Over Easy, which is full of resources dedicated to helping you navigate the legal and financial bureaucracy of a separation. She's remarkably candid when it comes to advising those in contentious relationships, and you'll see so in her willingness to offer this form of pro bono public aid. If you're in a relationship at any stage of its life, this episode is for you. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to this edition of MentorBox. As usual, I am your host, Jonathan Kendall, today. And we have in the studio, really appreciate you coming in, Laura Wasser, who you may know from MentorBox, depending upon when you are listening to this. Uh, obviously, her class in MentorBox is incredible, teaching all about love and divorce and kind of everything that has to do with relationships. Laura, if you want to just tell me a little bit about yourself and introduce yourself to our listeners, and then we'll get into it. Great. So hi, Jonathan. Thank you for having me. I am a Los Angelino, and I am a mother of two. And I am a family law attorney, which means that my firm practices divorce law, custody, child and spousal support, uh, paternity actions, etc. And I've been doing it for a great deal of time, usually for wealthy, high profile clients. About five years ago, I wrote a book called It Doesn't Have to Be That Way. And this year, I uh, launched an online website platform for do-it-yourself mediation and divorce. And that is called It's Over Easy. It's overeasy.com. Definitely go to itsovereasy.com if you are in that uh, space. But tell us a little bit about kind of the theory. Why did you start It's Over Easy? On the surface is potentially controversial, but when you get down even one layer deeper, it's actually very, it's coming from a really great place. 
I think so. I mean, again, I've been doing this for years. Our firm makes a great deal of money, hopefully mostly solving other people's problems. And in many cases, advocating for people as they work through family law related issues, um, divorce and litigation. And what I really, really have been seeing is that as my book is called, it doesn't have to be that way. I think that we are smart enough in this day and age. We have the tools, if we look for them, to be able to work with our co-parents or spouses and separate in an amicable way that leaves the money with us and for our children. And so what I wanted to do was kind of break down what we do in my practice into bite-sized pieces so that users can kind of get on educate themselves, exchange information, and negotiate a deal that makes sense for them and for their children without getting sucked into like both litigation and the terrible financial devastation that can happen to many couples that are going through the divorce process. Yeah, I love that. It doesn't have to be that way, meaning that it's preventable. I'd like to talk about this whole process in sort of the before the during and the after, if you don't mind. So before you even get into the procedures or, or maybe you're even thinking about getting a divorce, what do you recommend um, both kind of psychologically and also legally for uh, people who are in this uh, I recommend education and communication. And uh, I, I would recommend that all through the process and even in the beginning of a relationship. Many I speak often um, and too many about prenuptial agreements, but that's probably another podcast. What, yeah. I, what, I, what I think is really, really important is that if somebody is unhappy in their marriage or relationship, that it is important for them to seek some kind of communication therapy, whether that means counseling, whether that means some kind of a support group, whether that means going to a clergy person, a rabbi, a priest, somebody that you can really talk things through with both on your own and with your significant other. I also think it's really important that you learn something about the laws in your state. I can't believe how many people come to me, educated, wealthy people come to my office and say, well, what do you mean I have to pay support? Or what do you mean half of my entire retirement plan goes to him? They don't know what the laws were when they got married. And so they certainly don't know what the laws are when they're getting divorced. So one of the things that we do at itsovereasy.com is we really provide an entire fount of information for people. We have tons of content that's blogs, that's articles, that's interactions, that's referrals, so that people can get an idea of what they're going to experience if they go down this road. And what we're working on now is something that will actually live on our homepage that's kind of like a quick flip book, which is, you know, when people are pregnant and they have that book, What to Expect When You're Expecting, this is kind of what to expect when you're divorcing. And it takes you through those stages. And the first one is is educate yourself and communicate. Often people, once they've begun doing that, decide that divorce isn't for them. Either they really can't afford it, which I know doesn't sound very romantic, but as it's a, it's a reality of being a part 
of a family, or they figure out the tools that they need to be able to communicate and fix what's wrong with their relationship. That really does happen. I've seen it many, many times. So those would be the first two things I would do. And again, edits over easy, that content is accessible and free and you're able to look at it, even if you decide not to get divorced or if you have a friend or family member that's thinking about it and you want to get into it so that they can then be educated and you can help them go through the process. That's really great advice. Uh, one other question that I have actually from personal experience with uh, a family member who went through a divorce and signed a lot of papers right away and realized right afterwards, basically out of guilt, that oh man, you know, I probably shouldn't have signed these papers the way that they were originally written. Uh, in terms of timing, you know, what is a, when, when you're thinking about potentially going through this process and you've gone through communication therapy and you've studied the laws and you have a sort of general sense, uh, you've gone to itsovereasy.com and you've read the, the free resources. What is a, a realistic and maybe best case scenario timing for even starting the process? Well, again, it's not something that should be done as a knee jerk, but often it is like pulling off a bandaid. If you really have made the decision that you want to get divorced, then it's not a bad idea to pull that first petition or complaint, depending on what state you live in, and fill it out and file it with the court. Because in many states, for example, in California, we have a six-month waiting period from the time you file and serve your petition to the time you get divorced. Now, in many cases, it takes about six months not only to get through the emotional kind of grieving process, but also to get through the financial disclosure, exchange of information and negotiation of deal points. So six months isn't a horrible period of time and you certainly shouldn't do it, you know, in a rush. But at the same time, if you want to get that ball rolling, so to speak, you may want to, once you've made the decision, file serve. And now it's a reality check for your significant other and for you in terms of how are we going to do this and how are we going to behave as we go through this process? Can we communicate and be considerate of each other as um, people who are no longer in a romantic, intimate relationship than we were before? Sometimes people find they're better co-parents once they're not sharing a bed. Yeah, <laughs> that I, I've seen that as well in the real world. Uh, so uh, moving on to sort of the actual process. Now, you started to hint at it a little bit. Uh, you know, there's filing a complaint and then going through the six-month process. Can you sort of deconstruct that and declutter that for someone who really doesn't know what the process looks like? Absolutely. And this really will apply to any state, um, regardless of what the laws are, the kind of tenets of going through a divorce are as follows. One, if you've got kids, that's generally going to be your most important thing to discuss. So what works for you and your co-parent in terms of custody? And what I would do is just get out an old-fashioned calendar and look at it, look at when they're in school, look at what their extracurricular activities are, look at where both of you are going to be living and figure out what is the best custody plan for your kids and for each of you. Generally, we have found that younger children need or are better deal with more frequent and continuous contact. Even though there's more transitions, they see both of their parents more. So we'll do something like if you're going to split custody equally, two, two, three. So you go mom, two days, dad, two days, mom, one, two, three, and then you flip it. Dad, two days, mom, two days, 
mom one, two, three, whatever it was. And again, that can be a pain for the parents because you don't have every single Tuesday. You have every other Tuesday because you're flipping it. For older children, you often get into two, two, five so that you have mom has every Monday, Tuesday, dad has every Wednesday, Thursday, and then you flip the weekends and they either tack on to the two days before or the two days after. Sometimes if you're living further apart, week on, week off is better if your children are such that they can go a week without seeing either one of you. So you play with those and you talk about them and it's all temporary so you can give things a try without having anything set in stone and figure out what works best. The other stages after you figured out your kids, and again, don't hold too firm to this because you may end up changing it. Do it temporarily and see how it works would be to actually start breaking down, and I put this in five categories, what you have, what you owe, what you make, and what you spend. So what you have is all of your assets, your house, your cars, your boats, your jet skis, your album collection, your, um, you know, not necessarily clothing and jewelry, unless the jewelry is like an investment, but your actual assets. Then you put in what you owe. That would be a mortgage if you have a house, any loans, outstanding credit card debt, student loans that you're paying off. That's what you owe. Then you go down into what you make or what you earn, your income, and that would include everything, whether it's passive income because you have investments, whether it's what you're making on a nine to five salary, you put that in as well. And then what you spend, which is always an interesting thing because we all have had months or years where we haven't balanced our checkbook or we're not really sure what we're spending each month on, for example, valet parking or coffees at Starbucks. So you really, really make a comprehensive list of those four things, put them into those four boxes, and then figure out how it is that you're going to divide your assets and your debts and come up with a workable situation for dividing into two different households, given the fact that you probably earn different amounts. Both parties may be working, but one may earn more. So you have to equalize that so that it can cover the expenditures. And really in a nutshell, and there's a lot there, but that's how you negotiate a divorce. You figure out the custody you figure out what you have and what you owe. You figure out what you make and what you spend so that you can tackle the issues like child and spousal support. And then you figure out what is a deal that can work for your family. And you either write it up, get help figuring it out to put into the boxes that we have at It's Over Easy, and you make a deal. Okay. So one more question in terms of how you're doing this during the whole process. In terms of percentage of income or percentage of assets, what do you recommend for, you said get help, right? So there's obviously a lot of different options. You can ask your parents and friends to be mediators all the way up to um, hiring you, right? And every and obviously there's a lot of in between there. What do you recommend? Is there a certain percentage or in your long history working with clients, how do you approach spending money in order to get this done efficiently, effectively, and fairly? I would spend as little as possible, but you don't want to cheap out on something that's important. So that's one of the things that we've taken into consideration when we created It's Over Easy. It's not the least expensive do-it-yourself website for these things. There are other ones that basically spit out the forms. But what I have found is that even with a law degree, going through these forms without some kind of assistance is incredibly difficult. So as an example, in California on the petition, one of the first questions is date of separation. 
well, nobody knows what the date of separation is. Is it the day you say, I want to be separated? Is it the day somebody moves out? What happens if you move out, but then you're in counseling together or you engage in sexual activity? So what we have on It's Over Easy is a button and you click on the button and there I am, I pop up and I say, hey guys, this is what date of separation in California means. And you explain it and then you can apply that law to your situation. If it's still too complicated because my explanation in the pop-up doesn't make sense or doesn't fit for you because it was complicated. I said I wanted a divorce. I moved out of the house. I lived elsewhere for a year, but I still came home every Saturday for dinner. We had sex on the Saturdays. I left Sunday morning and I don't really believe that qualifies us as separated. Then you might actually have to look for some outside help, whether that's a mediator, somebody with a law degree. Sometimes people actually try only one issue you for a finder of fact, like a judge to make a determination. In my opinion, you're better off saying we can agree to disagree on what our date of separation, what was it, what does it actually matter? And so in California, data separation is when the clock stops ticking on the length of time that you get support. If you've been married for five years and you are receiving support, it's probably going to be for about half the length of your marriage. Also, if I'm creating something during the period of marriage. For example, I'm writing a screenplay and I finished my screenplay uh, in April, but I continued, um, or I, 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 sorry, let me do that again. Let's say you're writing a screenplay and you write half of the screenplay prior to your date of separation and half after. So only one half of the screenplay would be community property that I'd have to share the spoils of with my spouse. So that could be a disputed issue. So if you can't agree on your date of separation, you can at least agree what to use as your date of separation for what that screenplay or support period would be. So again, there's always ways of figuring out an, an amicable resolution. Sometimes you're going to give a little bit and sometimes you're going to get a little bit, but in almost every instance, it makes more sense to keep that extra money between the two of you as opposed to spending it on two lawyers. And I say this to people all the time who are making money from your inability to resolve your conflict. Right. Which is uh, very nice of you to say from your perspective. <laughs> very honest. <laughs> So I would I, I would like to move on then to the after, or let's say we've come up with an agreement, signing the, the final paperwork, and then also just experientially and psychologically and relationally after the fact, what are some things that normally come up that uh, maybe a couple is not expecting to have to deal with, but then it does? Well, let's say you've gotten your deal and you've kind of sent it down to the court. You're waiting for it to be stamped and the divorce to be final. Um, what often happens is somebody meets another person. And so that will come and factor into the equation. You're introducing this new partner to kids, to other family members, to friends that can raise some unforeseen emotional issues generally. But what if it raises financial issues as well? For example, my husband and I split up. I'm receiving a certain amount every month in spousal support. And then I meet a guy that basically has his own plane and several very expensive cars and a really, really successful internet startup. And I marry him. Now, my spousal support might end. My child support would remain the same. But what if my needs are now being met by Mr. Rich Guy that I just married? Would that modify support? 
And that doesn't even include what my ex is going to feel about the fact that I've introduced my kids to Richie Rich and they probably like him a lot because he gets some floor seats at the Lakers games. <laughs> so there's all kinds of things that come into play when you have a new mate. And generally, let's be honest, people do. That's why they get divorced so that they can hopefully move on to somebody who makes them happier. So those are issues that need to be tackled, not only the co-parenting issues, but the financial issues. Um, some people meet a new person and they decide that they need to move to where that person lives, which is across the country. So you've got move away custody cases um, that can cause problems. What we are really trying to do again is keep people out of a courtroom setting where they're spending a lot of their money arguing about something that otherwise could be hopefully resolved if they sat down and talked about it. So one of the things that we also have at It's Over Easy on the other side, I mean, this is available throughout your experience, but we have a provider directory. And those providers are references and referrals from everybody, from somebody that can help you with your finances once you've gotten divorced, somebody that can help you get uh, medical insurance if it's no longer available through your spouse, somebody that can help you, a co-parenting specialist, a therapist that you meet with and speak with about the co-parenting issues, people that will help you get back in shape, personal trainers, stylists, babysitting entities. I've got tons of young dads who have this hard-fought battle for custody. They get the kids and then they go, I have to go to work. Can you help me find somebody that can take care of them when I have a meeting on whatever night? So again, this great list of providers that can really, really help you with almost anything you can imagine. We just had somebody join that helps you sell your engagement ring. Because again, that extra money could be really helpful for you. These are the kind of people and referrals that you need as you're going through this process, and they may not be readily available or not in one place. Hey, hate to interrupt this conversation with Laura Wasser, but I want to let you know where you can get more relationship and separation advice from her. She recorded a full video series on the steps you need to take when considering pursuing or finalizing a divorce. But per usual, she recorded those exclusively for MentorBox members. If you want to access all of that, plus much, much more, be sure to visit MentorBox.com. Okay, back to the show. Okay, so I want to get into a little bit of the uh, the personal, if you don't mind. Uh, I know a lot of MentorBox members, maybe you know, they're with us because uh, they trust us and they know that we help them optimize their lives in a series of different ways. But maybe they have this perfect uh, marriage and everyone around them theoretically has a perfect marriage. So I want to get into your success story personally, if you don't mind. What brought you into this world firstly? You know, was it something that you were always passionate about? Um, kind of your journey from, from wherever you started to now, obviously, being so successful that you're doing this incredibly altruistic version of divorce and it's over easy and giving all of this free information away. And, you know, it's just really nice what you're doing. And you've obviously reached this pinnacle. So just tell me from, you know, whatever version you're comfortable with beginning to end, how you got to end up in this position. And also, if you can give some advice to our listeners for you know how to overcome obstacles and live into their passion. Sure. So 
well, okay. You said, how did you come into this world? I came into this literal world um, when my father and mother found out that my father had passed the California bar exam. And to celebrate, they made me. Um, <laughs> I figured that out after they looked back at how many months it was after I was born. So I was born and then they decided to go a step further and name me Laura Allison Wasser so that my initials would be law. So I really never had a shot at doing anything else. <laughs> However, I certainly thought I did, and I fought it for many, many years. When I graduated from Berkeley uh, in California, UC Berkeley, with a rhetoric major, so I was always prone to argument and debate, my parents had basically said to me, you know, we will continue to support you as long as you are in school. And I didn't have the grades or the appetite to go to medical school. So I applied to law school and I went to law school and I still didn't think that I was going to get into family law, even though my father at the time had become one of the preeminent family law attorneys in Los Angeles and maybe even in the country. He represented Billie Jean King when she had what they call her galimony case, which was really palimony. Um, And he did a lot of other very kind of high profile uh, entertainment industry people. And so I said, well, I'm never going to work for him. That's so I don't want to go work for my dad. That's horrible. Blah, blah. In my last year of law school, I got married. Um, I was 25 probably too young to get married, at least for me. That lasted a little over a year. And right after I took the bar exam, we split up. So at the time, I really needed more money that I was making working for the nonprofit that I was working for clerking while I waited for my bar results. So I went to daddy and I said, can I come work here? And he said, you can come work here as a law clerk while you wait for your bar results. Why don't you start with your with doing your own divorce? That can be your first case. And please don't ever ask me for money to get married again. So I did my own divorce. I never got married again. Thereafter, I really came to love and and did and do have a passion for family law because as a family law practitioner, you get to learn so much, so fast and so deep about not only people and human nature, but about all different kinds of... careers and walks of life and cultures. I mean, I've represented so many people over the past 25 years, whether it's movie stars or singers or athletes or directors or bankers or teachers, all different walks of life. And you really get to get into people's heads. You learn so much about them because they really do kind of bare their souls to you during the period of time you represent them. It's a weird thing. And then afterwards, you kind of never hear from them again. Once in a while, I'll get a card or I'll see somebody at a restaurant, but they don't usually want to hang out with you because you're representing what was generally a miserable time in their life, but you know them so well. So I've really enjoyed doing this, but I have definitely at times become extremely frustrated with the process, with the legal system, with how long it takes if people aren't of the same mind, which is, hey, let's get out of this in a way that enables us to continue to love and respect each other and co-parent or be partners in whatever business we're in, even though we don't want to go to bed together every night. During the course of the years after I graduated from law school, and it's been about 25 now, I um, had two children with two fathers, neither of whom I was married to. Um, We were together at the time that we had each of the two kids. And so those are my two sons. And so I'm very well-versed in the art of co-parenting. And we... um, 
all are kind of a, a family of sorts. We all go to my mother's house for Thanksgiving. I've got me and both dads and both kids and my current boyfriend and his two kids. And one of the dads has another kid from before. So she's like a kid. And I always kind of see it as my tribe and more people that, that love my children and love my family. And there's times when if one of the dads is out of town because he's on a location scout because he's a producer, the other dad might take both boys and have a sleepover at his house because they're brothers and they love each other. And it's just, it's totally doable. Are there times when I want to rip my hair out when I come home from a long day at work or in a courtroom and both dads are there eating all of my food and the kids are running around and I have a housekeeper kind of looking at me curiously saying, can I leave now? Are there enough adults home? And all I want to do is just go upstairs and change clothes. So, you know, there's definitely crazy times, but the most important thing is our children and getting along and giving them a sense of consistency and love. And I really think at least today, because <laughs> it does change every day, we're doing a really good job with that. And, and like I said, it works. And I, and I know how the financial aspects of it play out both as a payor and a recipient of support. Um, I, I've been able to see how different custody arrangements work the communication that's so important and all the tools that we have available to us now as co-parents, whether it's texting or calendars or, you know, uh, portals that we can speak to each other on, all of these things uh, have been created that go into helping with the modern kind of separate household situation. And, and I'm the first one to be able to tell you from experience and practicing what I preach, it is doable and your kids can be rock stars. I love it. So you are an expert from every single conceivable angle from all of this, which I'm sure helps you in your career. One thing that I want to ask you as well is obviously being a divorce attorney is, it's been around for a while, right? But what you're doing now with It's Over Easy is very on the cutting edge. And I would also say, just like any entrepreneurial endeavor, a little bit risky, and so a lot of our audience is either they're either entrepreneurs themselves or they're looking to be entrepreneurs or they work for a company where they're making entrepreneurial type decisions on behalf of their company in going from something that's a little bit more, let's say, consistently, predictably comfortable, like working for, obviously, you have a list of very famous people that... Um, you have as clients, you know, Angelina Jolie and Megan Fox and Christina Aguilera and all of this is very public. But going from that to starting an entrepreneurial endeavor, it's over easy. What has been your experience with launching it and starting it and, you know, how to overcome the pitfalls and scaling and all of that? Well, I, I was really lucky. I mean, because I put all that time in beforehand, kind of establishing credibility as a family law attorney. Um, and because I did and do represent famous people, I constantly am being hit up by, you know, tabloid magazines and entertainment news shows and, 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 and stuff like that, because obviously they don't want to know about me. They want to know about my clients. And since I never, ever speak about any of our firm's clients, um, and we have 17 attorneys at the firm now, and, you know, we have like a total cone of silence in our office and everybody that works for us has to sign non-disclosure agreements. Um, I feel really strongly, and I think it's one of the reasons that our firm has done so well over the years, that not kind of capitalizing on our clients' you know, state of conflict is, is important. 
So when we did launch in January of this year, and we actually, for the first time, hired a publicist and actually put the word out that, hey, Laura Wasser is willing to go on Good Morning America or speak to People Magazine, it was like, they clamored for it. So I was really lucky in that way because we got a lot of free publicity and we really helped that helped us get people into this funnel, you know, and, and get them knowledgeable about it's over easy. We have been still very, very careful with our finances. Um, again, that was one thing we didn't have to spend a big PR budget because once we put the word out, everybody was calling and trying to make sure that we could get on their show or in their magazine. So it was great. We were able to spend less than what most people would have to spend for PR and marketing. Um, the other stuff we've just, you know, we really, really have been careful. My main thing is, in addition to, you know, bootstrapping, I learned all these new terms too, which was really cool. In addition to paying for a lot of it with my own money and my partner's money, I went out to friends and clients who I had helped over the years. And these are people who are pretty wealthy and we raised money from them to be able to get started, build the platform and be around as long as possible until we actually started making a profit, which happily began happening pretty early on, but it was scary. And yeah, I mean, your question makes sense, which is why would you go from running a 17 person firm who represents very, very wealthy, high profile people making $850 an hour to, you know, just being kind of a schlep rock startup. And the answer to that is what I'm sure many of your listeners and, and, and people that go on the site for MentorBox need to know is you have to really like it. You have to really, really believe in it. You have to have a passion. It has to be your baby or your dream. And this is, I mean, yes, I'm doing it because I believe that the face of divorce needs to change. And it's only going to change if we really make these kind of things and this education and this content and these platforms available to people. And I do, I mean, I'm not saying everyone should go out and get divorced, but I definitely saying that I think it's healthier to be by yourself or in a new relationship than it is to be in a stay relationship where one or both parties has changed or become unhappy. I'm not really certain, Jonathan, that human beings were meant to mate for life, but I definitely know that families were meant to be able to communicate and work together and coordinate for life. And so I think that there's a big difference between those two things. And I think that if people are able, I know for me, I like both of my exes so much more now than I did when I was with them in those final months. And we get along so much better. We laugh together. We eat dinners together. We laugh about our kids together. We have the joy and the pain of raising them because we're family doesn't mean that we necessarily want to, you know, go to every Labor Day picnic together or get into bed together every night. Laura, I think that maybe sometime within the next few years, uh, we should have a three hour Joe Rogan style podcast and invite on an evolutionary biologist and discuss whether or not monogamy or polygamy is the appropriate way, but maybe not for today. But I like the idea. <laughs> Uh, Laura, I have one, well, I have a few more questions, but one, uh, my next question is, uh, how do you deal with pressure? I keep, every time I'm, when I'm listening to you, I, I keep on, this word keeps on bubbling up in my subconscious is the idea of pressure. So if you take on these high level clients and someone's paying you, I often in our seminars will ask some of our clients when we're consulting with them, listen, what would you do for someone if they paid you $500 an hour? What would you do? So if I gave you $25,000 right now, what would you do for me? And I think that that way of thinking can really 
change an entrepreneur's mindset? And obviously, you're already at that level. So how do you deal with the pressure of if you're going to talk to someone for a half hour on on the phone and you're going to bill them for $400 or simultaneously the pressure of calling up someone who um, is going to potentially invest in in your new venture, it's over easy. Just the daily grind of Los Angeles and family law and being an entrepreneur, how do you deal with that level of pressure? Do you have mantras that you use or you know, certain, um, you know, what's, what's the way that you deal with your mindset? I wish I could tell you it was something like really holistic and healthy, like, well, Jonathan, I meditate every morning and then I do an hour of yoga, but it's really just that I drink copious amounts of alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, I, you know, I, uh, I'm a California girl. I have a um, place up at the beach in a trailer park and the kids and I go up there on the weekend. One of the most, you know, diffusing things that I do, particularly during the summer is get in the ocean. I mean, it's amazing. It really, really works in terms of de-stressing. Also, I mean, truth be told, after 25 years, I'm used to it. I'm used to the stress. Some, maybe my boyfriend would tell you that I thrive on it. Um, I am a problem solver. So whether it's getting on the phone with somebody who is adamant that she needs to have 100% custody of her, of her children and her husband should never have any time with them. And so, I mean, again, something that really takes the pressure off for me is kind of, is kind of solving that puzzle, getting, seeing somebody that's in a situation and getting them to a point of reason, educating them about the law, telling them based on my experience, what will likely happen and hopefully prevailing upon them that, you know, in very, very few situations, does it make sense for your children never to see their father? Those kind of things are are helpful to me. And then being able to say to the father's attorney, we understand that he absolutely wants to have full custody of the children and they should never see their mother, but that's not going to happen either. So let's figure out a, a, somewhere to meet in between that gives them equal custodial time that they can really both be their best parenting selves and count on each other and et cetera, et cetera. And what is, what is pressure building for me is when I'm not able to effectuate that kind of logic and reason either with my own client or with the other uh, attorney. I usually can't speak directly to the other party, but I can speak to his or her attorney. So the pressure is relieved when the problem is solved. Same with going to pitch it's over easy as an entrepreneur to investors. And again, I'm very passionate about solving the problem. In the case of raising money, the problem is I need money. You have it, give it to me, and I can pay to upgrade our tech and I can get more marketing and I can have more people to speak on the phone for consultations and, you know, frequently asked questions. That's solving that problem. I will tell you that the latter example, which is going to pitch um, investors, has become something that's um, much more fun for me. And that problem is being solved much more easily than getting some of my more litigious clients to agree on their custody issues or their support issues. Yeah. And like we said, you kind of built up a reputation um, throughout your career that people trust you and they know that you're going to do a good job. So you've kind of laid the found or laid the foundation and the groundwork so that when you do make that ask and you do pivot to something a little bit more entrepreneurial, uh, they, they trust and know that it's going to work. 
Yes, and many of them are people who I represented in their own situation. So they definitely know that I'm coming from the right place and I know what I talk about. Yeah. So obviously you've had a lot of uh, intimate conversations and relationships with high-profile clients. Obviously, you can't talk about any of them in detail. But as a general rule, is there something that you found about these highly successful people that they all have in common? No. Not really. I mean, I definitely, there's, there's patterns. Um, but most of them, and I've said this, um, publicly that divorce is the great equalizer. It doesn't matter if you're like totally freaking out about who's going to walk the red carpet with you at the Oscars or who's going to go to the company Christmas party. It still is a really scary, sad, you know, feeling getting back out there, not having your significant other at your side, knowing where he or she is going to be, that kind of stuff. All of that hurt and pain and jealousy and fear is totally across the board, something that we all experience. And, and, you know, those sections in magazines that say like stars, they're just like us. I've seen that firsthand. I will say that something that's interesting, two things that are different about people that are higher profile. One is their entire situation is playing out publicly in the media. And so that is a little bit different just in terms of both being an incentivizer to have people do it kind of more resolution-oriented, settlement-oriented, not having things filed with the public system. Um, But it also can be very, very difficult to see your entire personal life splashed across the tabloids. And many will say, well, that's what they signed up for when they were going to be famous. You take the bad with the good. But that doesn't make it any easier. And it doesn't also make it easy for the more unwilling participants, which are the children, they didn't sign up for it. The other thing that I find interesting about high-profile, wealthy, famous clients is that they are really not used to being told no. Most of the people that are working for them are getting paid to make what they ask or desire happen. And in order to make what they um, desire happen, happen, they, uh, you know, will go to the ends of the earth. And many of these people are getting paid a, a healthy commission. So for example, if my client is able to go to Japan to film the movie that he's starring in, then he is going to get paid $20 million. And from that $20 million, he will have an agent, a manager, a business manager, a publicist, all being paid a percentage of what he earns on that film. If he, So they're going to do whatever they need to do to make him very happy in Japan. And if that includes taking his two kids because it's the summer months, you know, July and August, they're going to say, he needs to take the kids. Make sure he can take the kids. Yes, yes, movie star. Of course you're going to take the kids. Get on that plane because I want to make sure that you make your movie and continue to be famous and I get my percentage. Well, I get my eight fifty an hour, whether or not he makes the movie, whether or not he gets on the plane, whether or not the kids go. And it may be make sense to say to him to be the only person in this, you know, clan that goes, yeah, you're probably not taking those kids to Japan for a full two months. That's their full, their full summer vacation. And their mom's probably going to want some of that time. So let's see what we can do to work this out so that she is agreeable to letting them go. Maybe they, she flies there and spends some time with them during the two months, whatever it is, let's solve this problem. And, you know, I may, I am often the one person telling people, no, that's not going to happen. And that is a different thing too. And again, I think in the end, they appreciate it because if everyone's just blowing sunshine up their asses, then they can't really know who to trust or expect. And again, those people are being paid to say, yes, I have no beef with them, but my job is to apply the law 
to my client's situations. I'm a family law attorney. I'm a litigator. And so I have to be able to tell them truthfully that if they end up in court in May to determine whether their kids are going to go for the full two months of June and July, they are unlikely to win the entire 60-day period. So let's figure out a way without having to go to court and spend a lot of money and animosity to get what you want, even if it's not 100%. That makes sense. Uh, Laura, to come full circle, I'm getting married very soon. And Congratulations. Yeah, I do love a good wedding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I'm looking forward to the whole thing. But can we talk a little bit about prenups and you know whether or not they're important and how important they are and how to approach them delicately? Yes. And this is something I, like I said, I speak about often. I don't know if you in your situation, Jonathan, need a prenuptial agreement, but here's what I do know. I do know that talking about things which may not be romantic or sexy or comfortable prior to walking down that aisle is super important. And it will tell you a lot about your spouse-to-be. It will tell you a lot about how the two of you resolve conflict and communicate with each other. And so even if you are not going to enter into a prenup because it simply doesn't make sense for the two of you, and again, that would depend upon how much you earn, how much your fiancé earns, how much each of you um, has coming to the relationship and getting married. Those things are always variable. And sometimes, I mean, I counsel people all the time that have a lot of money that they're inheriting from their family and they're very wealthy. But since in California, an inheritance would be separate property, you don't really need a prenuptial agreement to protect that money. You might need a prenuptial agreement to determine what support would be if the couple broke up later. So that may not be a couple who needs a prenuptial agreement. I still think it's worth discussing things like, hey, my mom is getting on in years and I've kind of told her and myself that I will never put her in assisted living. So when she gets older, I want her to come live with us. Or, hey, I went to parochial school and it's really, really important that my children are raised with a religious education. Or I don't ever want to sleep on a futon after I turn 35. If we're going to travel together, we need to have a travel budget so that we can stay in hotels, not at your frat buddies, you know, basement, futon, whatever. These are conversations, and again, there will be some of them you couldn't possibly anticipate, but things that you know are important to you now, particularly that have to do with financial. How much do you make? How much do you put aside? What are we going to put aside for our retirement? Where are we going to live? Are we saving for a house? Are we just going to spend it hand to mouth? Those are kind of discussions that the two of you should have and apply them to the law in your state. Is your state a community property state like California, where everything that you earn on the day you get married and henceforth will be split down the middle if you split up or is it an equitable distribution state? Might make sense to do a little bit of research about what that means and what the support laws are in the state where you live. I, My dad, because he's always been a family law attorney, whenever he goes to a wedding and he writes a check, he only writes it to the person. It's usually somebody's kid that's getting married. So he'll only write it to the one person, meaning that it's a gift from him to the, let's say the, the son of his friends. If you give the gift to both parties, then it's a community property gift that you got at your wedding. I always thought that was kind of shitty of him, but that was how he always did. He said, I don't even know her. I'm just writing the check to him. He should do with it what he wants. So (laughs) there's all kinds of stuff to look into. And again, having a conversation somewhere that's calm without a lot of people. If it's a relaxing weekend, if, if you are drinkers and you have a, a, a bottle of wine or you know a little bit of a vape beforehand, just to kind of calm it all down and say, I just want to have a conversation about this. I want to know that we are 
both on the same page about some of these issues, I think it's great. And if it does lend itself to a prenuptial agreement, the things that I would say is do it well in advance of the wedding, well in advance, so that a month before you can put it in a drawer and never look at it again. Um, and do it in a way that makes sense in terms of both parties having representation. It's one of the reasons we don't do prenuptial agreements on It's Over Easy, because you need a lawyer to enter into a prenuptial agreement, at least in the state of California. So we don't do those because you can't be a do-it-yourselfer and, and have a prenup. Um, you have to do full disclosure. You have to give all of the information about what you have and what you earn to the other person so that they can enter into this prenuptial agreement from an informed place. But again, it's worth looking into because I always say to people, when you get married, you have a contract for the venue and you have a contract for the flowers and the cake and the tuxedos and the dress and the band. But the biggest contract that you're going to be entering into when you get married is the marriage contract and you're going to be bound by the laws of whatever state in which you live. And most people don't even know what those laws are. Yeah. I have had a few conversations uh, with my fiance about it and thank you for the advice. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so just in summary of what we talked about today, we went over sort of the before, the during and the after. Before you said that education and communication is obviously important. Communication therapy is obviously something that uh, people should look into. Another thing is know the laws in your state um, and it's overeasy.com is a really great resource for this. Um, then during the process, you said that it usually takes about six months um, and you're going to want to go through the all of your assets, what you have, what you owe, what you make, what you spend. Obviously, children during the process and custody is going to be really important. You said if you're younger, then you do the 223 or the 322 method with mom and dad. Or if they're older, you could also do a 225. Um, if you don't remember what that is, you can go back and replay the episode. Um, obviously, again, a lot of these resources are available at itsovereasy.com. Um, afterwards, you mentioned that when either one of the uh, spouses has someone new involved, that that can be a potential complication. Um, you know, if you have a new partner, does that change things? If so, how does it change things? So having an awareness that that's going to be an issue potentially uh, after the fact, it's important. There's also resources at itsovereasy.com for that. And then as an entrepreneur, it, one thing that I got out of this was that a, a lot of the times you did the hard work ahead of time and you put in um, a lot of groundwork and the foundation so that when you were ready, you had a network of individuals who trusted you. Um, and so for me and for the advice that I would give to listeners and we've said similar things before, but this is just further to the point. If, if you're looking to start a new venture, make sure that you have uh, the professional credibility to you know, even consider such a thing. Um, and then obviously, you know, further details of uh, celebrities and, and entrepreneurship. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time with us today and, and going over all of your your expertise. Again, we've talked about this quite a lot. It's overeasy.com. Is there anything else that you want to talk about in particular? You know, if someone wants to get a hold of you or in touch with you, is there a certain social media platform that you interact with more often? Um, how would our listeners get in touch? 
Uh, well, through the website, I'm available through the website. It's overeasy.com. Also, we are on Twitter. We are on Facebook. We are on Instagram. Um, reach out. We also do a podcast every month, which may be moving up to four times a week. It's called the Divorce, Divorce Sucks Podcast with Laura Wasser. Um, we have call-ins on that or Instagram answers. You know, if you have specific questions, I obviously can't give legal advice, but ask me. I, I clearly love listening to myself talk, but... Um, about my favorite subject, which is it's over easy. But I really do feel that this is so important. And if there's people that have questions and if there's people that have interest, um, I welcome all of you guys to reach out. Um, I will always figure out a way to get back to you somehow. And like I said, the more you know, the more you're able to communicate and really be nice to each other out there. I mean, it is when you get an offender bender or a landlord tenant dispute, it's so different than getting into litigation with somebody with whom you lived and have children. You're going to be dealing with that person for the rest of your life. So don't burn too many bridges. Remember that they can be one of your greatest allies and family members if you can get through this difficult patch in an amicable and cost-effective way. Love that advice. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Just as a final note, um, author of It Doesn't Have to Be That Way, go out and get that book. Um, Amazon or really wherever books are sold. Uh, it's overeasy.com. If you or even someone that you know is potentially going through a divorce or is currently going through a divorce, there's a wealth of resources there. Laura, I really appreciate it. If there's any final words, um, you know, let us know. Otherwise, uh, Hopefully we can do this again and, you know, do the, the Joe Rogan version. And be <laughs> I would love that. Thank you for having me. Come visit us on itsovereasy.com and take it easy. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks, Mentorbox. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to the MentorBox podcast. If you want to learn more about what our authors as well as all of our authors teach, make sure to sign up at MentorBox.com. And if you like the MentorBox podcast, please leave us a positive rating and review in Apple Podcasts, as that helps us get discovered by more people who will enjoy and be helped by what we do over here at MentorBox. Also, if you think of anyone who would enjoy or be helped by what we do here at MentorBox, be sure to let them know. We do what we do at MentorBox to try to make the world a better place through the incredible education our authors bring. And we can only do that through your help. So please help us spread the word. Again, thanks for listening. And we'll see you in the next MentorBox podcast.